Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hey, I'm Scott Pipe. Hi, I'm Nick Percat. You are listening to Inside Supercars. All the racing I've done, supercars and, uh, you know, all the GT and drifting and all that kind of stuff, I think it all helps. A lot of seat time and having some good times racing, it's, it's a lot of fun. As long as we don't allow some of the lunatics to um, get the keys, then uh, it'll continue to be at the, um, at the forefront uh, through hard work and diligence, particularly on the part of the team owners and investment by them. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. And welcome to Inside Supercars this week, Craig Lavelle and Tony Whitlock. G'day, Craig. G'day, Tony. I'm really looking forward to speaking to uh, Chris O'Toole from Pro Drive Racing Australia today. He's, uh, he's had such an interesting and diverse career, and you say that, but it's been predominantly with one team. So it sounds like an oxymoron, but I'm really in, uh, looking forward to that chat. Well, the team actually has been through quite a few different versions mm. of, of the same thing, you know, starting back when uh, they bought uh, David Flint was running the team and they bought uh, Glenn Seaton out and... Uh, and then through Craig Lowndes and Dave Besnard, three cars, and, you know, they've certainly been through different versions of the same thing. But uh, now they're running four cars, and as well as uh, in the main game and the two in the development series, they're certainly a, a powerhouse and winning that championship in 15, and a pair of Bathurst wins have certainly given them the credentials. So it'd be good to talk to Tully after a very good Townsville, almost their best weekend of the year. Oh, yeah, I think it was, indeed. And uh, what a and weekend in Townsville. looking at the agenda for this week... Um, First off, I suppose, is the fact that uh, it was more of the same, really, in Townsville with uh, Team Penske, DJR Team Penske, uh, and Triple Eight taking out the wins. Most of the podiums, PRA again on Sunday, getting four of their cars in the top eight and qualifying, and then Mark Winterbottom getting his third podium for the year. So that was terrific to see them getting that sort of success. Um, the other thing that's happened this week is that it's been announced that Queensland Raceway has another three-year contract. Now, it's interesting because there'll be a lot of pressure on events. Now, they've, they've come out and said they can go up to 17. And obviously, with the Grand Prix becoming a championship event, they'll already have 15. And then with Taylor and Ben coming on likely next year, so there's a 16. And if they go to another overseas venue, they've got to the 17 events, which the teams have agreed to now. So that's an interesting scenario. Uh, any other news that you're aware of that uh, fills the agenda? Well, interestingly, we're looking at how the uh, series has gone from strength to strength. And over the next couple of weeks, I, I'm going to be getting a bit more information in about how the uh, data, the Repicon data, which I talk a lot about, is uh, proving that the supercar series is really on the rise and also that uh, it seems like people are starting to come back, not only at the track, but over there in TV land as well. More than likely, one of those reasons is the changing face of the competition, the fact that we're no longer seeing the domination that Triple Eight had for a number of years, now seeing the fact that those yellow cars are up there and... And the fact that, you know, an old stalwart like Dick Johnson, I mean, for the majority of Australians, I'm sure they go, Penske who? What? You know, sort of thing. But anyway. But um, I think we just go from one domination to the next. It's, it, yeah, for, sure. For, but for the, the, the great time. thing is, the, the great thing is that now we have that scenario where PRA and Triple Eight a couple of years back, um, and now there's a new team at the top of the pile, and it looks like there'll be three teams that are in there mixing, and PRN, PRA rather, 
are working hard to uh, get on the podium far more often and get some race wins. Mm. And, wins. and I, I wouldn't really like Gary Rogers. I think he's had some good development. And, uh, oh. and and then you've got Erebus's great qualifying speed. They they lost something. They lost the handle in both races. However, that's the exact opposite of what they've been doing this year, where they haven't qualified as well, but they've raced well. So now they've found the speed. They've just got to get that uh, consistency and race length consistency performance back. Okay, so after the break, we'll come back with Chris O'Toole, team manager of PRA Australia. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be Inside a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. And welcome back to Inside Supercars. We're thrilled this week to have Chris O'Toole, team manager of BRA, on board. Welcome on board, Chris. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, good to be here. Thank you. Enjoying the sunshine and surf of uh, Townsville for a few days. Yes, I am. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic place to visit, and uh, took the opportunity to stay on for a few days. And what makes it even better is that you can enjoy and lie back and, and think about that it was enjoyable because qualifying on Sunday was the best with all four cars in the top eight? Oh, it certainly was. Um, you know, it was quite um, uh, quite satisfying to, 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 to see them all up there. We haven't had a top four for, for quite some time. We've had four in the in the uh, shootout a, a number of times as a team, but uh, hasn't been, it's been a long time between drinks, and Darwin in particular was quite a... Um, a, uh, a, a struggle for us, you know. We really, um, really struggled to get on top of things at Darwin, and uh, it's a good turnaround for the team. The team's worked very hard. Good to know. All right, well, let's go back and start on your motorsport history. When did you first become interested, let alone involved? Oh, look. To, to be to be hundred percent honest, with you, the first vivid memory I have of of motorsport was watching Bathurst with my dad. At uh, in, in 1977, and watching the Ford One Two, uh, you know, with yep. Colin Bond and um, and Moffat. So um, that's my first vivid memory, and, and and it's stuck with me ever since. I've, I've wanted to be somehow involved in motorsport ever since then. Was it a blue household? <laughs> it was actually. Dad, uh, Dad was um, very much had. To, well, to be honest with you. We were predominantly Ford, but we had everything from Volkswagens to. <laughs> right. um, I think we had a Chrysler Sigma at some stage, and, and all sorts of things. But yeah. Uh, all right. Now your cool. your background is as uh, a mechanic. Yes. Yeah. I started my um, apprenticeship uh, at Red Hunt Holden, and then finished it at Coffee Ford in in Daniel, and then migrated into motorsport. Oh, I, I spent some time working with the wonderful Graham Hunt. I used to quite often spell, misspell his surname, which he knew, and I told him one day that I did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, that's an interesting background, certainly. Um, okay, so you've done a mechanical apprenticeship, and so what was the first car you had, first race car you had your hands on? First race car was, oh, we actually built a, uh, a, a, a ute, an XF, 
ute, a drag car, at Coffee Ford. So so that was the first race car I ever had. It was actually in drag racing. Oh, okay. So you thought one from scratch from a brand driver. new shell. I beg your pardon? Sorry? It was a driver. Oh, we, we shared the driving duties between three of us. I drove and um, a couple of other guys that worked on the car drove as well. Oh, okay. All right. Drag racing wasn't really where you uh, went down there because you've obviously shown that back interest in circuit racing. Yeah, love circuit racing and then off to, and then got involved in Target Tasmania and things like that as well. Oh, okay. Who was that with? Um, well, we did Target with um, Peter Brock and, and James Brock so, and, and Stephen Richards as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so Target Target was uh, it's still one of my most enjoyable um, motorsports that I've ever been involved in. Target. You haven't done it for a long time, though. No, no, no. It's been a long, long time since I did that. Could it be somewhere you go back to? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. It was right. just such enjoyable and such a great atmosphere and great camaraderie. It was good. I've always thought it was far more competitive. Uh, uh, event rather than for the public, but I know the public do go and watch it. But to be involved in is what it's about, isn't it? Oh, very much so. Yeah, just to be right involved in it was just so enjoyable. Okay, so fast forward now, and it's about o two o three, is it, when you first became involved with FTR? Yes, yeah, I was working at Glen Seton Racing, and and then and they were bought out by. Um, uh, well, ProDrive back in the day, it's at yeah. FPV, I suppose, um, and yeah, I sort of came along with the um, with the with the team as well. What were you doing there at Seaton? Uh, I was a mechanic, mechanic right. on the car. I was a number two at the time. Yep, yep. Who was your number one? Um, oh, I think it was Mike Chinnery. Was the yep. last? I know Mike. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He works at Nissan. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. All right, so uh, you're there from the laying foundations of the, what is now PRA. Yes. Um, uh, a founding father, so to speak, or son of. Um, yes, yeah, yep. And you've been through all the uh, different iterations with uh, Glenn and uh, and Craig Lowndes and uh, who else has been through there? Brighty then? Um, um, Richo. Richo, yep, yep, yep. yep. It, 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 and Dave Bernard when he was there? Yeah, Dave Bernard, yeah, yep. And, uh, and you were three cars then. Yes, yeah. So we went to three, so the first the first iteration was straight up from, from the one car Glen Seaton Racing Team to, to three cars the following year um, as the first year for um, FPR. Right. And that was um, uh, Leon, Seaton and, and Dave Bernard, yeah. And that was a big jump. Yes, yeah, yeah. Very learning curve there. And of course, the in charge of the whole thing was David. Um, oh, David Flint. David Flint, yes. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed working for David. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed working for him. You knew exactly where you stood. Yeah. Um, and and he, he was never anything but honest and truthful to me, and I I, I respect that as a person. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You then started through a period of uh, lot of learning, and then the team changed again, and then Craig Lowndes joined. Yes. Um, and again, the team went through a, a recasting, and that's about sort of almost when Tim came on board, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 I can't remember exactly when Tim came on board. I remember meeting him for the first time was at the Grand Prix. Right. And um, um, I actually, we might have met him. No, it was at the, it was at the Grand Prix, and, and it, 
I, I think we'd just gone back to two cars or well, it was the second year as a two-car team. And, yeah, it was a, you know, we were working pretty hard those days, you know, like working every weekend and uh, everybody was, you know, probably spending 60 or 70 hours a, uh, a week at work at least. One of the things that you've always been involved in is because of the team you've worked at is the full componentry of a car. You know, yes. You're not somewhere that's been buying in engines or buying in chassis or anything like that. You, you've been involved in the whole making of a car. Yes, very much in our DNA. Yeah, yeah, very much in our DNA. And and it's something I, I still have, a, a, you know, a great passion for. I, I really enjoy that sort of things, and yep. and I enjoy the innovation and, and, and the ability to be able to, you know, you know, discover something on the on the Saturday or the Sunday at a race weekend, and and being able to change it or innovate it or redesign it on Monday or Tuesday. Can you do any sort of a, a head count on the number of cars, forgetting the different versions of them, the number of chassis that have been through the workshop while you've been in charge? Well, the actual chassis we have built, so it's full on FPR build. I think we're up to number twenty two. It seems a remarkably small number over that period yeah. of time, doesn't it? Yes, we, look, we were never in the in the business of just churning out chassis because we've I've always been of the belief, and 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 most of the team are, 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 have always been the same that it was always the bolt-ons that made the big difference in racing, not not yeah. the actual chassis itself. The chassis was, um, you know, a pivotal part, but it wasn't the bit that made the, the, the tenths of seconds. It was always the, the, you know, the suspension of the engine or something like that that made the difference. And so you went through from joining as a mechanic um, yes. to coming around the one on a car? Yes. And then becoming the crew chief? Yeah, crew chief and, 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 then, and then on to team manager and I've been in that role, which has evolved now because, you know, I'm the team manager for, you know, four main series cars and the two... Uh, Dunlop series cars as well. So, yeah, and of course, if your role as a team engineer is a lot more than just making sure dinner served on time. You you have a oh. far wider gamut of responsibilities. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so you know, and you know, all, all, all matters of racing, um, you know, feeding through me. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and in which case, you're responsible for budgets as, as well. Yes, yes, yep, yep, budget. And, and in fact, I probably spend more time on budget than I do on anything else, to be fair. Yeah, right, OK. Yeah. Uh, and this year's working out all right for you so far? From a budget point of view or from a performance point of view? <laughs> well, no, no, forget the performance thing. We're just talking about the budget, the running of the team and making those things work. Oh, look, um, you know, uh, you've been around motorsport as, uh, you know, uh, longer than anybody, and you know how motorsport teams work. You'll spend every dollar plus one cent sure. that you get to spend. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, you know, we, 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 it's, the budgets are tight, but it's only because we're trying to spend it as fast as we can to go faster. So one of the things that you've been able to do is stabilise a workforce. You, you've uh, had, you know, quite a few new young guys in the last couple of years but a large number of your blokes have been there a fair while now. Yeah, we, we've got a, a, a real good core group of people. One yeah. of the things that I sort of, um, when I first became, even back at, uh, when I became the crew chief, the first thing that I set my mind to do is that to reduce the number of working hours because we were working 60 and 70 hours a week at, as a minimum. And then, you know, race weekends have become 90 and 100 hours, you know. Yeah. And it, just, it was too much and we had, you know, 
too much impact on the human being. So one of the things I set out to do was to make sure that that was reduced and to have the resources around us, the equipment, the staff in the right places and everything so that we didn't have to work ridiculous hours to achieve the same goal. That's one of the things I've seen in my time, you know, since, since starting in the early 90s doing race facts, that to see the finger problems go away. And, and as you know better than me, that many of those finger problems were caused by people being tired. Yes. Um, yeah. and, that, and I've been really pleased to see the way in which the whole series now manages its people far better. And, you know, the times when people be, you know, eating good things off the bootlet of a car are no longer there. People are oh, properly respected. And as a result, they put in and do the right thing in terms of making sure they're in good nick. I mean, you know, that fascinating thing. Your team, I think, have been for some years, including all the team in the health and fitness programs that run not just for drivers. Yeah, and and look, it's it's and we've still got a way to go as as an industry as well, and I think we can even do better, and and certainly as a team we can do better as well. I still think we can we can raise the level of of, of our treatment of, of of staff or just general well being and and a work life balance because ultimately, you know, without our staff then, then we don't have a race team, so we need to make even bigger inroads into the work-life balance and make sure that the people who come to work and they've got a massive big smile on their face and they're just as happy to go home to their girlfriend or boyfriend or wife or whatever. Yeah. Tooley, just going back to the budgets for a moment, we hear the discussion about uh, international races coming back onto the fore. Now, of course, they're not very popular with a lot of the teams and they're not very popular with the fans because they go, we can't see them. The reality is that no fan really goes to every race. But when you're looking at your budget and all of a sudden there's a X amount of cash coming in from uh, the mothership, as uh, Rod Nash likes to call it, for that race overseas, is that really 100% of the cost of going overseas or is there still a gap that you have to make up? Look, it depends on the deal, and every different overseas event has been different. You know, um, the, the the biggest expense we have in in you know our travelling side of things is the 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 accommodation, catering, and airfares. That's that's we spend more money on that in a, in an event than we do actually on the race car and what have you. So, if if that sort of thing is built into the structure of the sponsorship or the or the fee for the event, then you can actually make you know, it, it, it is a, a cost-effective way of going racing. So I, I'm a big believer in the overseas events when they're costed properly, but it's no different to going to Timbuktu or, you know, to coming to Townsville. If it's costed properly and it's it's sold, because we're an events business, so if it's sold properly um, and, and, and the promoter is getting the income, and if we're the promoter in this case, um, and we're getting the income that covers off those costs, then it actually is financially viable. And, and, and I'm a big believer. And it's in, in a lot of ways, it's easier to go overseas racing than it is to go domestic because actually packing things up in a container, we do it pretty well these days. And you land, you unpack it, you go racing, you pack it up, you come home. It, it, it's very structured. And, and, you know, companies like Gibson Freight and all that sort of thing who, who are involved in this business right from the start of the international travel... You know, they're very good at what they do. So as long as the the, the accommodation and the airfare side of things 
is structured into the event cost or the event feedback to the teams, then it is very very worthwhile for us to do. Obviously, under the current broadcast arrangement, it can never happen, but the talk about two-day meetings and cutting it down to uh, Saturday, Sunday, uh, rather than Friday, Saturday, Sunday, does that actually save you any money, or is there still those accommodation staffing costs that have to be spread over, you know, three and four days anyway? Well, no, because it does save money, because at the moment we're a three-day event, so we get there Thursday. So, and you're always there a day before because you, you've got to set up and all that sort of stuff. So so a three-day event for the public is a four-day event for the race team. So if you have a two-day event for the public, that makes it a three-day event for the, the race team, which makes it, you know, that's one less day of catering uh, accommodation and, and, and time away from the workshop, which costs you money. Mm-hmm. Now... So, uh, yes, it is cost-effective. Yeah. And would you be a fan of that? Would compacting it down like that... Is an entertainment oh. package be better? Oh, yeah, as an entertainment package, it has to be better because we don't see a lot of people on a Friday. So, yes, I, I'm a big believer in delivering the package to the fans so that the days that they can come to a race meeting, being a Saturday or Sunday, because 90% of them are working or 99% of them are working, yes, I am a believer because we've got to deliver the show to the fans. That's what it's about. That's what we're in business for. And after the break, we'll come back with more insight into the world of PRA and the team that uh, Tully has been in charge of for the last few years. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's Tour Grand Prix and I just remind myself of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark, not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Talking about making things faster and making them better, the homologation of the FGX... I have heard a story, and I'm hoping you can share it with me, about you at the homologation, at the, at the uh, speed test, I guess it was, making parts of the uh, newly prepared car out of plywood or balsa wood just to get that homologation through. Can you, can you talk us through if that story is true and, and what actually was going on there? Look, it wasn't a, 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 out of balsa wood, for starters. It was out of um, nullifying plastic. And, yes, we did uh, We did have to make uh, bits and pieces, but it's no different to um, any other homologation test. You know, I've been at every aero test, you know, for homologation since, well, I, I, since I can remember. And every race team, you know, Volvo, you know, at the time had to cut their undertray off and move it back 20 mil and all sorts of things. So, you know... Innovating bits on the run at, a, at an aero test is is normal in motorsport. So yes, it's true, but it wasn't out of balsa wood or plywood. <laughs> Did you enjoy that pressure? Because I guess you only have that day to get it all done, and then you live with that car for so long. <laughs> the decisions you're making right now can be crucial to your success over the long journey. Oh yeah, I, I enjoy that sort of thing anyway because it's innovation, and I and I, I, very, I get a lot out of that. But it wasn't one day. We were there for seven days, I think, down in uh, the sale aero test for that particular homologation. So 
it's not, it, it, you know, you know, the final day is the final sign-off day, but there's a lot of, it, a lot of work that went into it before then. Mm. You know, we had to modify some bits on the run, but most of our package ended up on the car as designed before we went there. Turning back the clock for a second, talking about overseas, maybe you could give me your impressions of the number of events, and I've been to most, but, uh, but not all. I didn't go to Sepang. And, um, my own memories are very strong. Shanghai was almost the most enjoyable, the ones I was involved in. From your perspective, uh, your favourite overseas trip with the team? My favourite overseas trip was Texas, to be fair. Texas, Okay. Yep, I found that the most enjoyable. The people were fantastic. The the, the event was well run. The the circuit was fantastic. You know, you couldn't have had any better help from anybody, including supercars or anything like that. It was it was a good event. Right, great. Well, of course, Craig, um, the, the two missed out on the opportunity to do a lap of the track in a Ford 500, didn't he? Uh, sorry, can you say that one again? Sorry, I, you missed out on the opportunity to do a lap, which I took Craig on in a Ford 500. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I got to do a lot. I drove it around in one of the rental cars. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, well, it's one as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, so fast forward again, and um, uh, this was a very different race meeting because the uh, maestro was not there. He was off playing uh, with his sons in the bush, um, no yeah. Tim Edwards, and uh, left yeah. you the keys to the factory. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're now giving instructions don't come anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's a subtle hint there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah look, he's missed a few uh, events along the way from, you know, I think a while ago he had his appendix blow out and all sorts yeah, of things. But yeah, I remember he's, that. He's, he's missed different events from here, here and there. And, you know, um, I mean, the bulk of Tim's work's done sort of back at the workshop, to be yeah. fair. You know, most of the racing sort of unfolds, you know. Um, and we're one of the one of the things about the race team is, you know, we do all our work back at the workshop so that when we get to the racetrack, we don't have to do a lot. So it's the, the event itself runs runs itself and everybody knows their job, so it's pretty easy. Do have you, you done a debrief from the weekend yet? No, no, it's tomorrow. Right, and you'll do that on the phone with them? The other yeah, I'll phone, I'll phone my bit in, yep, yep. <laughs> right. And, and tell me, um, just from your perspective... Can you see where there are areas where you can get those other few tents you need? Yes. Yeah, I probably don't want to go into it right now. No, 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 I'm not asking you. Know, I'm not asking you. Least, I can see at least, yeah, I can see it, you know, um, two, two areas where we need to, you know, um, improve significantly on. I mean, you know, uh, Penske have, you know, got a fair bit of resource behind them you know, outside of this country, and, and it's not surprising that they, that they are as successful as they are. Yeah. You know, and, and we were, you know, a big part of their improvement, you know, in their formative days with DJR and, and then the uh, merge of DJR Penske because quite a lot of that car was supplied out of the ProDrive workshop. So um, I'm not surprised as to where they've and how they've improved their package. Um, and, yes, you know, I'm, I'm confident we know where we need to enlist on. This weekend gone was the first time we'd seen such a large gap between Scotty McLaughlin and Fabian. Um, previously, they'd both been fairly close with only, you know, early on a couple of mistakes, you know, that were radio communication or mistakes that were made that Scotty missed out on points. 
um, but the cars are much closer. Now suddenly we saw that gap. Now I've heard some people telling me, ah, that's the power of twins for you. Fabian already thinking about them. <laughs> yeah, I look, I, look, I wouldn't be too. I wouldn't discount uh, Fabian and Phil Keith. You know. No, uh, I, I wouldn't either. I've worked, um, worked very closely with Phil um, uh, through a number of years, and um, he's a very smart man, and I'm sure he can um, figure out exactly where they went wrong, and, and, and they'll improve at the next race meeting. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Tully, yeah. is motor racing as enjoyable now as it was, well, what are we talking about, uh, 20 years almost ago? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love it. I, you know, I, I love racing. I love, I, I love um, the innovation, I love the competitiveness. I'm a very competitive person, and I, and I enjoy it. It's it's so much different to what it used to be. Like you, um, like you guys said before, you know, it's, it's different to having a couple of dim sims on the bottom of the car and, and going racing. You know, it's it's different. You know, but, but the, the motorsport itself is is the same. Car racing still car racing, and you're still going up. You know, cars against cars, and, and team against team, and, and trying to beat someone, and and that hasn't changed. So. That side of it, and getting to places like Bathurst, you know, I still get goosebumps when I, you know, drive down the hill and, and, and come into the town of Bathurst on the Tuesday before, or sometimes you get there on the Sunday before, you know, and I still get goosebumps and think, oh, I can't wait to get in this weekend, you know. So every season, is that your challenge, the, uh, the winning of another Bathurst? And, uh, I mean, you've got two of them now. You want another yeah. two, I imagine? Oh, right. look, I, I said years ago, I'll retire from motorsport if we can win. Sandown, Bathurst, and the championship all in the same year. All right. And until, <laughs> until we've locked that in the way, I'm, st- I'm stuck in motorsport. And that's <laughs> yeah, a big achievement. Okay. I, I, I think the last bloke we did that was probably Peter Brock, I suppose. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. Who was being. I set myself a fairly high goal, and that's what I want. Yeah. yeah. Well, you said you work with Brock, you've worked with Lowndes, Seaton, Richards. What has been the. Has there been one distinguishable factor that they've all shared and has there been big big differences between uh, other aspects of them as uh, as drivers and and their thought process oh they're all very different they're all very different and you, and you develop a different friendship or relationship with all of them um but you know that they've all got in common, and, and Frosty and, and Chaz, and they've all got in common. And, and Reynolds, you know, I loved working with Reynolds. Um, they're hungry, you know, like they want to win races, and they hate coming second, which is what I like. And I don't, I don't really rate much more in a competitor than that. Hate coming second, want to win, and, and everything else, you know, sort of pales in existence. But you know, like they've had different relationships with all those guys. Very different. You've got an interesting mix now with, uh, you know, from Jason being the old driver in the paddock to Cameron, I'm not quite the youngest. Is he? might be the youngest. No, um, he can't be the youngest as Rulo. He's just about that. Oh, of course, yes, he beats everybody, yes. <laughs> but you've got a fair spectrum, age spectrum, you know, from, from one year to 20 years experience sort of thing. So um, is that does that add another perspective to things, seeing that uh, mix? from the old to the young and, you know, learning going on between drivers? Oh, yeah, yeah, very much so. And, and, and we, we've always been, um, as, um, as a team, we've always debriefed every night after race meeting or during the race meeting and every after every qualifying, it's always debriefed together. So we've got, you know, four guys in the truck 
you know, after every session and, and sitting in on that and listening to the way Brighty debriefs and the way Frosty debriefs, the way Chazzy debriefs and the way um, Cam debriefs is all very, very different. But uh, and, and I still find it quite interesting the way they articulate what they, their problems are with their cars and every different driver's always had a different way of saying sometimes the same thing and sometimes something very different. But um, I still get a, a lot of intrigue and interest out of that sort of thing because I'm, you know, I try to pay attention to, you know, people's personalities more than I try to pay attention to actually that what they're trying to describe, if you know what I mean. Yeah, indeed. Um, and engine-wise, um, your own program still runs in-house. Who's running the engine program now? Yeah, the, the engine program's still fully in-house, and, um, you know, um, um, we don't have what, what I, you know, other people would call a figurehead of an engine department, if, if you know what I mean. We've got, you know, a group of people, and um, ultimately, you know, it all, it all comes back to the, you know, yeah. the top of the team. So um, we've, we've got a lot of work to do in the engine department, like any engine department, to be fair. Um, the next challenge, you know, thinking about, um, you know, Roland in his V6 and how he's going to track test that and all that sort of stuff, that's... that's that's got our attention, and we've got to focus in on that. And I don't, I don't believe we've got the best package going forward. I don't know who has, but I don't believe we've got the best package as an engine in in, in the category at the moment. Um, we certainly haven't got the worst, and we've got uh, areas to improve on, um, and we're working hard on that. You know, as far as uh, personnel is concerned, it's it, it, that's a sort of a different discussion, if you know what I mean. Is one of the critical things, Tooley, that you, whatever you do next, you completely control the build of it? Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. That's an interesting question. I, I, I don't know that we've got to have an iron fist over the thing. I don't know, to be honest with you. Look, uh, no, I wouldn't say that's a, a critical thing. I, you know, we, as a team, we've always strived to build our own product. So, and I, and, you know, I... You know, assume that that's the way we'll go, but what? it's not something of this. You know, had a, as a business plan. Okay, right, this is what we're doing. This is not what we're doing. So, yeah, haven't really had a discussion to be fair. <laughs> While your factory support is no longer there and, and no uh, cord ovals on the cars, um, I assume that you know you still because they still make uh, and have parts in stock. Do you still get supplies from them? Yeah, yeah, we still have a relationship with Ford, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not the factory team as, you know, the, the way it was ever described, you know, uh, back in the day, but we still have a relationship with Ford, you know, and, 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 and we still get our um, steel work out of Ford, um, yep. you know, um, and they, they, as they did for, for uh, DJR Penske, they, they, they ran off a heap of motorsport panels for us before they stopped the stamping plant and stopped the production of FGX, so... We still got a large supply of that sort of stuff kicking over at the factory, and when we need it, we just tap into it. All right, and your, your drivers now, um, who are they on contracts? Are, are all of them signed through the end of 18 or 19? Or? 
Yeah, it varies. I think. Yeah, I think it's. it's I think we're varying at the moment. I, I actually, I'm probably a bit off guard. I couldn't tell you exactly when they finished. I think they. I think the earliest ones are in the voting. Yeah, but you'd like virtually to see, you know, who's there now staying on. Imagine oh, Brighty yeah. was saying, put in about 20 new diagonal bars to stiffen up the chassis. <laughs> uh, uh, all the old boys, they talk about stiff chassis and all that, but everyone's got the same chassis. He's <laughs> 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 just silly fool because we've got the same one that uh, Penske's got, that <laughs> Triple H's got, and all that. Diagonal bars, and that's why we built as little cars as we have. <laughs> yeah. Diagonal bars and blah, blah, blah. So you're laughing because that was part of the conversation, aren't you? He's <laughs> a clown. <laughs> Years ago, one day at a race meeting, um, Glenn made us cut through the diagonal bar under the dash because he thought that the, the car was too stiff and that was going to find him the next two tenths to qualify. Yeah, yeah. so there you go. <laughs> and guess what? It didn't make Jack stiff. <laughs> Um, so we know what your overall season objectives are, and um, probably just a stretch out to win your three, but certainly uh, that's a stand down. And finishing high up in the championship is uh, still in uh, Casual. Um, yeah. The fact that you won the, the, the two Enduros, uh, that you'd actually be a long way towards that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the team's still evolving still. There's still things that you're, you're polishing and... and uh, Making smoother within the team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, each each sort of year we bring on, you know, younger staff through the ranks and all that sort of stuff, and they find their feet and get better and better and better. You know, um, Jason's engineer is a first year race engineer, but he's been with the team for seven years and been six or seven years, and and and, and is a very very smart man. And you know, so so he's learning 
is improving and, and you know as we bring on mechanics and things like that so it's it, it always changes it always evolves and every every race seems the same to be honest with you maybe you just get stagnant and you've all got the same job for, for 10 years it doesn't doesn't work like that yeah and with your enjoyment level still as high and all you need to be doing is ticking more of these boxes with wins yeah <laughs> I only ever got into work motorsport because I want to win races uh, and pole positions it's as simple as that and it hasn't changed and, and I'm just as hungry if not hungrier than I ever was um, and just one quick one on the series um, you're liking uh, the way in which it's structured now the longer races and uh, the calendar while it still has times when you're, there's too many back to back weekends well not quite back to back but too close with not big, big enough gaps in between overall uh, the calendar is to your liking Oh yeah, it is, and and I think this year in particular has got a little bit better in that, you know, um, some of the races on Saturday we've got the quick pit stops. You know, we're going to do two tyres, and I always enjoyed that. You know, years ago when we used to do two tyres as a pit stop, you know, and do two and a half seconds and three second pit stops. That that was always I, I loved that. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that back in the sport on some at some races on a Saturday. Um, I'm probably the opposite of most. In that I'd actually rather more events, to be fair, and back-to-back race events don't bother me. In fact, I prefer them. And, and obviously, um, adding the uh, points uh, championship to the uh, AGP is one you very much favour. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great thing. But as long as we can, uh, you know, entertain the, uh, the the crowd, you know, I don't like the rolling starts. I think that's as docile as you can get. Um, yeah. I think it's a, you know, well, it's just, I think it's a shit way to go and racing, to be honest with you. Um, I'd rather, you know, standing starts, traditional, so I'd like to see that come back into it. And hopefully we can see some pit stops, but with pit lane the way it is, we can actually do that in any sort of competitive nature without some sort of contrived thing. The other thing that I would think would be uh, uh, well uh, appreciated by the teams would be, and it appears that Liberty Media, as the new owners of Formula One, are showing that they have far greater acceptance of other ideas. The way in which the teams have been treated for years with their sponsors has been atrocious. That's the understatement of the century. Yeah, I know. I just find that, you know, for a sport that is so driven by money, for them to turn around and expect teams to bury themselves in, you know, in black cloth almost, um, you'd have to think that, that under the new management that they would be more attuned to uh, what the teams need. Oh, you'd like to think so. You know, you know, the F1 is is entertainment just like everything we do. And the reason we're on the bill at F1 is because that they need people to um, entertain their, 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 their guests between their races or between their their outings. Yeah. And, to treat you like you're some sort of second-class citizen, keep your garage doors closed and no signage of this and you can't have uh, banners out the back and, you know, all this sort of rubbish was just absolutely, I think, at the, at the very least, childish, but completely unprofessional as well. You have to think, given the way in which, you know, they just even car numbers on cars, the way in which one sequel singles out the door suddenly... Oh, people like knowing which car's which. Well, gee, yeah. isn't a number on the car a good yeah, way to do that? You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's it's surprising. What and at the point where they got to 
so pig-headed that no, no other category could have any sort of signage and all this sort of rubbish and no more than half an hour on track and all this. It, just, it, it, it astounds you. Hang on. Like we're, we're trying to enhance your package, not steal from it. <laughs> I have a theory, Tully, that with Liberty Media, we're going to see potentially supercars and Liberty Media working together now to build a, a, a Southeast Asian package. And um, I think you're right. I'm actually I'm actually right. hoping to speak to James Warburton in the in the near future about that partnership and and how you guys and Formula One are going to uh, are going to really build up a uh, a two horse act. I think you're right. I think I think and I, I think they fit like a you know like a hand in a glove. You know you know what we can bring to to entertainment or to their package. I think is. Is a, is a really, really good package, and it's a great entertainment. That's what we're here for. So we can only help them, not not hinder us. And, and by helping them, we help ourselves as well, you know. So I, I think, you know, it could go, it could form a really strong relationship, and 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 everybody will flourish out of it. I think so. And and ultimately, the fans will be happy. Indeed, indeed. Did you go to the pain by the way? Yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. What an experience. <laughs> it was a weekend experience. A weekend that, um, well, you know, in Japan. Because oh, did you have an impression there was actually going to be an event out of it? Oh, no, I sort of walked away and I thought, if they can make this into something, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be surprised. Because just some of the things that went on. But, but it was, you know, the way, the way supercars and the actual people on the ground over there went about it, I thought it was very, very impressive. Yeah, right. and the staff at supercars and, and and particularly the TV staff from supercars and how how much and how hard they worked was was really something to see you know one stage they came out and and one of the girls I can't even think of her name said you know they've got problems that the TV camera can't see through the fence and all that sort of that. so I snuck out at night and I looked an angle and I cut a hole in the fence so the camera could see through it you know but just everybody working together to try and achieve something. And in you know our race control was looking after their categories and all that sort of thing. Like it, it was just a really cohesive, and it showed me that you know the staff at Supercars were so keen to get something off the ground and do whatever it took to make it work. I found that um, very very refreshing. Yeah, it was good to know that capability within the organisation because at times it seems it's a bit buried, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, and people are quick to, you know, you know, including myself. I've done it before, you know. Quick to, you know, you always bag big brother, don't you, when it's uh, when it suits you. But um, places like Sapang and that, you really re- figured out who was just well vested in just like we're going to get in, get the job done, and work hard and make do whatever we have to do to make it happen. And it's a shame that it didn't get up after that because the work they put in at that event was really, really something to something to witness. One last question, Tooley, um, and we will let you get back onto the beach. And that is, um, with uh, 12 of the 14 races won by New Zealanders this year, one, one of yours, uh, your men taking one of the other wins, um, are we uh, going to see New Zealand in the seat of a PIA car in the near future? Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that was a statistic, to be honest with you. I'm a bit taken aback by that. Yeah, I'm very patriotic. <laughs> well, I'm I think it's hard to the seventh New Zealand uh, uh, Australian Touring Car Championship is going to be won this year. You know, they've been uh, <laughs> six in the past. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm a bit taken aback by all this. You know, I'm very patriotic about uh, well, well, you know, I know half and half, man. I'm my father in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I know you are, Tony. Yeah, but, you know, I think it's great for the sport because um, they're three great drivers, regardless of where they yeah. come from. Oh, fantastic. And, and they're a strong team. And, and kudos to them. They're doing a great job and they deserve what they get. And it's up to us to go and beat them. Um, yeah. Even if they are Kiwis, we need to... Uh, we need to put that aside and make sure that we beat them. Probably even more, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, there's a possibility. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. We're not. Um, we don't have a uh, a, a passport policy at our work. If you turn up and you want a job and you're the right person for the job, you'll get it. I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I employed a mechanic. Well, not this year, last year, and and on the on his first day, and I'd forgotten. I'd employed like I think seven people on the day. Uh, you know, across the uh, summer period. And on his first day into work, he came in. He had a slight pommy accent. I said, "Have you got a passport or a visa?" And he said, "I'm an, I'm an Aussie. I've just been working in England for five years." <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> right, okay. All right, well, you can, you know, okay, sign here, and off you go downstairs. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm not too fussed. If they're a yeah. Kiwi or a, or a Pom or a whoever, they can have a job if they, they're up for it. Uh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Greatly appreciate your time. Look forward to catching up later in the year in the room. I don't know which one it'll be, but certainly look forward to that. And uh, just keep on uh, doing what you do. And we'll thank you. More. Yeah, look forward to seeing you, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks very much for Chris O'Toole for his insight and telling us the secrets of what it takes to be at the top end of the V8 supercar paddock. After the break, we'll come back with our final thoughts. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au Hi, I'm Craig Lance. Hi, I'm Dale Wood and you're listening to Supercars Today. Your final thoughts on this uh, enjoyable weekend of racing in Townsville? My final thought is I can't believe nine years has passed since the last, uh, since the first race there. It, to me, it doesn't seem that long ago that we went to Townsville for the first time. And I guess that's just uh, indicative of uh, I'm getting old, so time doesn't seem as, uh, as <laughs> passes quick. And it also indicates that, gee, haven't we been fortunate with some of the newer races to become very strong and, and, and very very uh, well supported over over the years and with the news this week that uh, Queensland Raceway is getting extended for three years I think that is quite important as well because we need permanent circuits and big events need to go to those permanent circuits so I think uh, even though love or hate QR I find it always has a good race meeting and you always have an interesting weekend there. So you can bring that on. But I, I just really think it's uh, it's amazing how many events have now got some very, very great history about them. Yes, indeed. And look, we can only hope that that money that was committed, and I think it was a couple of hundred million being committed by the Queensland government, maybe the federal government as well, 
to making some upgrades at the track. It's long been overdue. I mean, I've, I've felt that uh, any time the surface of a sporting event is the biggest challenge, and it's the uh, bumps going into turn one and three that unfortunately are really the challenge of Queensland Raceway, learning how to get round those corners fast without going off the track. But So if those changes make it, it'll be a vastly improved uh, event. My final thought is about what may seem inevitable. Highly likely that the the 2017, uh, what is the Australian Touring Car Championship, will be won for the seventh time by a New Zealander. Jim Richards started it back in 85. Robbie Frank of it and the Volvo did it in 86. And then we've had um, Jim uh, winning multiple more championships. Uh, then com- competition from Steve and Jason Richards, Fabian, of course, and Scotty, as well as others like uh, Paul Radisich and Craig Bears, the Team Kiwi event. So it's a wonderful thing. This year, of course, we've seen 12 of the 14 races, which is an extraordinary number, won by New Zealand drivers. Now, the great thing is they're all great drivers. They're not being in the best th- they're being in the best teams and the best cars, but they're being also the best drivers. Some wonderful driving by those three in particular to win 12 of the 14 races. Scotty McLaughlin has also won, I think, nine of the 14 pole positions, so clearly got the speed to go and do it. So it's an interesting thing when you look at the fact that New Zealand is at the 127th largest country in world population. <laughs> compared to Australia's since 53rd. There are only 20 more million people in Australia, and yet New Zealand can produce so many winners. So many. At this moment of time, of course, we've got the reigning um, Le Mans winners in Brendan Hartley and Earl, uh, Earl Bamba, along with uh, the third member, I can't remember the third member of the Porsche, but he's not an Australian or New Zealander. And then we've got Scotty Dixon and Will Power, uh, it holds up the, the uh, flag for Australia and IndyCar. But the great thing is that so many New Zealand drivers over such a long period of time to perform so high. And so sometime we'll have a look at that and talk to people, maybe talk to the Ross Stones of the world and the Jim Stones, why New Zealand can produce so many New Zealand great drivers. Anyway, that's it for Inside Supercars this week. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to coming and joining us next week. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.